welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, hope you're having a great week this week. So my guest is Nicholas Kelly, and he's the chairman of Accela Group. And that was set up to deliver on the vision of changing the way people view healthcare by supporting the care life cycle and making care accessible to all. Nick's got over 12 years of experience in social care. He set up his first domiciliary care agency in 2006. That's now grown to be a cornerstone of the Axella Group as a whole. And he's got over 10 years experience working in tech and health. He previously was at Apple, senior involvement there, LinkedIn as well. And so, uh, oh, also at Cradle as well. So Arma Fasihi, don't you remember him from a few weeks ago? So uh, Nick was uh, instrumental at Cradle as well. So anyway, Accela Innovations launched in 2017. They design systems, products for the health and care, social care sector. Uh, they've got loads of cool stuff going on. Nick is a fantastic healthcare leader and uh, I'm sure you'll get plenty from this one. So I hope you enjoy it. So Nick, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning, mate? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's the weather's really terrible outside. It um, really is today, isn't it? it? Sucks. Oh, it's been so, it's been so glorious. I've been outside playing tennis. Oh, oh it's just been, it's been fabulous. But um, yeah, today not so much, unfortunately. Whereabouts are you based? So I'm I'm actually up in near Watford. Um, so I'm in between Watford and a little village called Croxley. Um, Very nice. Which uh, my house kind of backs onto um the park and, and all those little bits so it's, it's normally great so and then weather's amazing and stuff like that but today it's kind of it's not even it's not gray it's not it's not raining it's kind of like it's about to rain <laughs> but, it, but it's felt like that for the last two hours and you, it's like either either rain or don't rain yeah just just make your mind up and and, and go with it uh, I'm sure the US listeners have no idea what why we are so obsessed with the weather. I think I'll ask every single person on this podcast what the weather's like. Um, uh, they probably just think we're very strange here in the UK talking about the weather so much. But um, anyway, we already digress. <laughs> um, yeah, Nick, it's great to have you on, buddy. Um, obviously, I put a call out for black leaders in health tech um, a while ago. I actually spoke to a guy previous to this, actually, a guy called Lord Adabawali, who is a member of the House of Lords. He's done a load of health tech stuff. Um, and I've got a few more black leaders in health tech coming on, which I'm super excited about. But obviously, first of all, it's uh, it's to hear from yourself. And you've got a fascinating background in health tech and breaking into the space and doing all sorts of cool stuff from, you know, growing startups and, and now investing and all this cool stuff. So it'd be great, mate, if you could uh, give our listeners a bit of a flavor and, and to tell us a bit of your story well my story I, I, you know i was actually going to break into a freshman to blair rap there but then realized that'd be super awkward for everyone so no my kind of my story is a little bit it's definitely quite varied and, and it kind of jumps around a bit so i'll try and explain as much of it as i can so you know i my first i set my first company i think when i was 18 years old um and it was by understanding i was in sixth form and i understood that individual people were selling things that weren't all right, so I was able to, I basically create a cookbook. Um, and the cookbook basically took a whole lot of family recipes from every last country, got it basically published, typed up, images bound, and actually sold it. And that actually paid wow. for the university. Um, what was and it then called? also, what was the cookbook? It was called The Family Cookbook. Um, and it, the, it, the intro was grandma's recipes. So you know, I'm, I'm from the Caribbean, and my 
for me, I think home, home cooking is better than anything else you can get. Mm. You can, yes, if you go out to a restaurant, restaurant meals are amazing, but it's it's when that chef puts in that much effort into that food and that they would they'd be proud to serve that their mother or their grandmother. That's when you know that's amazing. So for me, it was taking all the old family recipes, trying wow. to put them in one place and really clean them up, but make them simple. So you can make recipes overly, as complicated as you want. You know, I think I yeah. years ago, seeing a, uh, an Afro-Caribbean chef trying to make rice and peas, it's, I mean, it's literally three ingredients, if, if you're lucky. And he made it with <laughs> 10 ingredients and it, he was like, it takes six hours, you've got to do this. And you just go, mate, it's rice, it's peas and, 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 and coconut milk and a bit of water. It's, it's in the name. It's like, it's like a grilled cheese. It's cheese, <laughs> it's bread, you grill it. Um, anyway, so we did, I did that. And then, and then, then kind of, I was like, okay. And I, I've always loved creating things, building things and taking on a challenge. So what I, I loved being able to kind of just go in and make something. And I love making things out of wood. So I basically also created this side company where we were building I mean, wooden furniture that we also then got fabricated off site um, for another company. And we started selling that. We first sold that I mean, in Canada market. And then we then we started selling it online, and it, that again took off, and you mean know, that paid for another bit of university. But it was it was always about kind of just creating something that I I, I just wanted to keep creating, making these things. And I think when everyone else that I knew was saying, "Oh, let's go clubbing," or "Let's you know, let's go do this," I was like, "I'm just going to try and learn to do something a little bit different." Because I was I've always been taught that you have to be stronger and better, and it's is it it's always been ingrained in me that being a black man, you always have to be you can't just be that stereotype. You always have to push a little bit yeah. more. You always have to try and stand out from the crowd and do something. And also you're never going to have anything handed to you. So you always have to earn it yourself. So I've always said, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have to push and earn it and, and, and get it myself. Mm. So that was kind of, um, I mean, that was kind of sixth form. And then I've always, I've always, it's going to sound really corny, but I've always, always wanted to be a pilot. I, I think there is, it's the one thing I think I can remember from the earliest age I've ever wanted to be. So when I got the chance to, um, I applied for the RAF and I, and I was, and I went through Cranwell, went through medical, um, became, became a pilot and I was flying for sort of three and a half odd years, which was the most wow. amazing time. I think a uh, side note was the day that I was able to, I mean, I walked towards the aircraft and I was going to fly it. I kind of had to pinch myself <laughs> and then look around and I was like, they're really gonna let me fly that. <laughs> and even when I got in, I was like, at some point, someone's gonna realize they messed up. <laughs> and I'm, and it just, it was just, it, it's one of those sort of feelings that it, there are so many things you do in your life. And I mean, you're, you've been a, a doctor, and I think when the first time you probably, are well, kind didn't of, didn't anesthetic alone is is the same moment. Like, hold on. Are they just going to let me inject yeah. all these drugs into this person and 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 just sit with them while they have surgery and keep them alive while that's happening? Like, yeah, they're going to let me do that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm going to myself just to stay awake and make sure that I'm alert. <laughs> you're looking around, going, at some point, someone's going to realize that this thing this thing costs a lot of money, and you're leaving it with with me, right? Yeah, okay, that that's good. And then kind of like kind of, and then it just. It's, it's a feeling that I can't explain how, how amazing it was. I think when I, when I finished that kind of, that, that flight, my first proper flight, and when I got my wings, I called everyone. I literally, 
I think I even, I, I think I even, I called everyone I knew. I decided like, I just, I just wow. flew a plane and everyone was like, oh yeah. I was like, no, 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 no. I just, I've got my wings. I've, I've, I've been flying. I yeah. just flew, I just flew this aircraft and I just did these things. And everyone was like, oh yeah. Okay. And you're like, all right, <laughs> fine. What did you do today then? And it, and it, it kind of, it's, 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 it's you don't understand it but when you speak to someone that's been in, in been a pilot or been flying or yeah done something that amazing you, you tell them what you've done and they go wow how was that and you go it was like a feeling of euphoria and a feeling of this is like if i was to die right now i would be perfectly happy with everything i've done up, wow. to my life, up until this point it's realizing your dream though isn't it and i think that's why perhaps those other pilots could really empathize with that is because that was them realizing their dream too i imagine if you said the same thing to someone who was realizing a dream in a completely different unrelated fit you know taking to a stage for the first time to do ballet or whatever it is right whatever their dream yeah. was i suppose anybody realizing their dream is going to have that same feeling and moment right of, of of the culmination of all the hard work and all of the the grind and everything that you mentioned before about adversity and all those things and overcoming all those things. I think it, it must've been a, a real proud moment for you for all those reasons. It was, it, it wasn't, do you know what? I think I never want, I don't want to ever underpin it, but to, to, for the numbers are, I might be slightly skewed to I wouldn't anyone taken for a but I think it's someone of 2000 people that apply to be, to go into, to be, I mean, become a pilot in the air force only sort of, three people make it to fast track or yeah. it three people three percent i think it might be three percent and that's it's that's ridiculous mm. and you mean you go you have to go through i kind of i think it was close to like an eight or nine hour aptitude test you've got to go through a medical that i've never felt anything for so invasive and i've had copious amounts of of internal surgery yeah and i've never felt anything more invasive as that that time and Wow. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of things I can't say in this podcast due to issues, but due to what happened, but you know, yeah. that for me going through all of that and then having to, to train, having to learn, having to kind of get all the way through it. It's not, it's not easy. It's not like, it's not, it might seem like it's intense, but it, it is because you're flying every day. You're flying three, four times a day. You're, and in the back of your mind, you know that every hour you fly, it's costing two to three thousand pounds. So you're, you've also got that weight on your back. Mm. Anyway, we digress. So was a pilot. Loved well, we it. do, and we don't. I mean, I'm sure you've learned a heck of a lot through that, though, right? That I mean, that respect for your own time, that respect for hard work, that respect for actually light at the end of the tunnel, putting in all that effort to then getting the rewards at the end. It seemed like you learned that pretty early on in those companies that you but because you, you taught and it's interesting you can almost hear i can hear you smiling when you talk about making your sales like and we actually sold something you know i did all this hard work and then i sold some cookbooks and then i sold some furniture you know you're you're sort of getting that positive feedback loop from doing the hard work putting the grind in and then getting the result and it seems like you did that in entrepreneurship but then also as a pilot too right yeah and, and what it it definitely taught me to how to stay calm and it's gonna sound like a huge cliche but it, it it teaches me how to stay calm when everything else is going is going wrong it teaches me how to to go okay great this is an objective things might be looking really bad right now but what can i do how do i how do i get through this situation what how can i pivot how can yeah. i get around this 
okay, I can't go here. And I, I mean, we'll touch on it a bit, but I can't go through the front door. How do I go around? How do I go around it? And it's kind of like, okay, we've been trying to get into the NHS and we can't get in this way. Okay. Well, would it be easy if we go sell, we go to America? Is it easy if we go to Asia and sell the product over there and then yeah. come back? Whereas most people go, well, I'm trying to do this and this, this isn't working. Okay. Let's throw more money at it. Let's see if that works. It's like, okay, that's maybe not, let's, let's not use that as a, as an option. Is there any other way around yeah. this? But well, also, and there's the poor me. There's the there's the ah oh, poor me. It's not working. Blame the system. Like ah, oh, the system no. needs to change. It's not my fault. Like it's the system's fault. You know, there's there's that as well that you're not doing because you're taught to solve problems and meet objectives no matter what in that military training. And and you you're also taught. There's so many so many things that you you, you kind of like. So for example, I've got two little children. I've got a, a girl and a, and a little boy, oh. and my. My daughter had a, she was in her room uh, last year and she pulled something down off the, off a shelf and actually had a, a massive cut in her head and it went through couple of layers of skin. And this is, oh, this isn't going to sound bad, but my wife is panicking going, what am I doing? What am I doing? And I literally went first aid kit, grabbed first aid kit, yeah. got a non-sticky gorge, gorge on it, washed it out, put it on, bandaged it up, jumped in the car, took it to any calm, calm as doors, literally. And as I was walking out the house, because <clears throat> I'd already I'd already prepped it. I already have um, you mean a, a fully stacked out first aid kit. I already yeah. have um, a hospital go bag. I already have a go bag for when <laughs> if something goes wrong. So That's inside a go inside a go bag for the kids, there are sweets, there are chocolates, there are there's, sugary, there's, there's sugary drinks. There's a um, a phone that's in there that they can play games on. There's a book. There's coloring pencils. So <laughs> I grabbed that, went to the hospital, and and the, and the, I mean after seeing the nurse, and I said, oh, it's really good. Who um. Who, uh, who bandaged her up? And I was like, me. She goes, well, actually, cut's really clean. And actually, it's like, the, <laughs> it, it's like we probably don't need to even need to do stitches. We can probably just put the, um, the Steri-Strip ones on and it'll be fine. And I was like, yeah. Great. Okay. It's like, did you, who taught you first aid? And I was like, if you panic in and you start, what most people do, you panic, you grab a kitchen towel, you grab all these things. But that's not what you need because now you've got, you've got foreign bodies going into, into mm. a wound. You've got all these things going in and you're panicking and all what you're doing is when you're panicking, you're making that person panic and that person's also panicking and causing a whole lot of other problems. So it's that kind of, everyone says I I seem very, very calm and I seem very, very relaxed and and I have it all together. It's that swan analogy on the surface. Duck on water. Yeah. yeah, On the surface, it's serene. You think I've got a a master plan below it. I'm like, ah, yeah. What's yeah, going on? Dude, I can like, I, I get it. it. That that is anesthetics down to a T. Um I think my feedback when I was a first year in, in my F1 was that the, the, we had a, an emergency on the wards and and stuff happened and, and not to say that I did anything particularly miraculous, but that my feedback from the senior afterwards was that you were psychotically calm in that in that event have you considered anesthetics because i think i think you'd probably be good at it <laughs> i was like oh okay that's probably the most actionable feedback i've had as a, as a doctor so far so that's great <laughs> but yeah no you're right I, 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 i'm just not interested in 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 the in, in drumming up any more of that kind of chaos i just want to solve the problem <laughs> yeah and, and that's what it is so if look if i can't if i can't solve it i'll, I'll find somebody that can but the best thing, the worst thing you can do is panic because the moment you start panicking, your brain, you I mean, you go into flight and flight That's and it. your Stress brain is always, your, your brain is always going to try and find the easier, sorry, the easier path for resistance to solve a problem. Yeah. And actually in most cases, that's not it. So the best thing to do is calm down and go, okay, this is a problem we have right now. 
where do we need to get to and what is the best option to do that? It might not be the quickest and easiest, but what is the best option to do that? So let's look at that because actually we, we're trying to do is get to here. If we get to there completely broken and we hate everything, that's not the right way to do it. We need to get here and feel confident. And actually potentially if we've learned something, how did, has that changed? It's that kind of you know river and a stream. You go, it goes through. It picks up things as it goes along and creates a whole new body. And that's all it is. I think that's why when I look at kind of when I kind of move on and you kind of look at your business plan, everyone, some people stick rigidly to your business plan, and that's fine. But you have to adapt your business plan as you go along to take into account what's happening around you and factors. So, I mean, if if your business plan this year was like, oh, we're going to go out and meet. I mean, we're going to meet 100 people over the next in the first six months of the year to hit the sales. If that was your business plan, you had no other, you had no way of understanding pivoting. Your business plan failed really quickly around yeah. March, April time. Yeah, hard. Anyway, so yeah, so that that kind of happened. So was a pilot. Um, had a massive motorbike crash, tore um, the ligaments in the left hand side of my leg, uh, my knee. Um, I've got a level three tear, level two tear, two, two level two tears and a level one tear. So tried to fly, couldn't fly, got a medical discharge, can't fly, couldn't fly um, jets anymore. So that was terrible. Um, And my mom, my mother's been in, in, in healthcare since the day she started. So she started, I think when she was 18 or 19, she's been working in sort of care homes and care agencies and she built um, one branch for, um, you know, one of the largest providers of care at that time up to you mean know, up to 10,000 hours from from scratch and kind of seeing her whereas I'm very entrepreneurial and very kind of driven in that in that aspect she just wants to do a good job and what actually her mindset is she really just cares and that and I'm and it sounds really weird but she gets up at this morning she got up at 3 30 this morning to go out and see service users that that need care wow. not because there isn't not because there isn't staff it's because these three service users have specifically said can you please come in and look after me and she wants to go in and make sure that they're okay oh. she goes to one another service user in the afternoon because this service user likes um sausage and mash cooked a very particular way <laughs> she cooked it for him once and we've had eight or nine other people go in and they've never cooked the exact same <laughs> so she goes in every afternoon and cooks it for him and then goes back to the office uh-huh. and works until sort of eight o'clock and then goes home and stuff like that. So, and that, so I seen that in her, I, I kind of, I thought, okay. And I've been around care since I was, you know, since I was five or six following her to you know, do care visits and sitting outside in, in, in a park or sitting outside on, on a, on a step while she was going inside and, and looking after the service user. So for me kind of moving into this field was a natural or something that I naturally wanted to do. And it, it was so we set up our you know our first care agency in 2006 which is respect care and we set it up and best way of putting it i think i think my my bathroom is actually bigger than the first office we actually had <laughs> and that's and that's not I, that's not because i've got a big bathroom does that say a lot about is, your bathroom are you like humbly no? bragging about the size of your bathroom here <laughs> not humbly bragging i was trying to, i was trying to give a context for the bar it was the, 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 the office was so small you could we could literally get a desk in and <laughs> You could either, you, you basically had to walk in, stand, kind of sit on the desk to close the door. And Amazing. that was it. Yeah. So you, you couldn't get two people in the office. And we were, and I bet and you loved kind of, it though. I bet you loved that little space. I, you know, that's our space. And I, and yeah. I bring it back. Every time I speak to everybody and everyone starts, I say, we had a computer in that office that 
we if we turned it off, it took a day and a half to turn back on. <laughs> we never, so we never. So many people off. in the NHS are just nodding, going, "Yep, sounds about yeah. right." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what we got now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we, but we, our first three employees, the first three people that walked walk through the door, when we, so we put out a call like, "We're, we're hiring a new care agency. We're hiring care workers. Please come in." And we kind of stood outside the door because we couldn't go in, but we stood outside and was like, "Yeah, this is a bad idea." Um, no one's going to turn up. Mm. We still have those three staff. You know, we're 14, 15 years in, and we still got the first three staff that walked in the door still work for us wow. 14 years on. And I'm proud of that because I don't know anyone that still works for the same company 14 years on, let alone working care for 14 years in the same place. And we kind of, so we did that and we, we, we built that and we now do, I don't know, I think we're up to 10 or 12,000 hours a week of care um, in London. Um, but we built that from purely from our from the sweats of our own backs. So we you know, we don't even have a bank overdraft, and that kind of goes back to where you've kind of I've always been taught that if you don't have it, you can't do it. So yeah. we don't have a bank overdraft. We don't have an overdraft facility. We don't have a debenture. We don't have any investors. We have nothing. Every last thing we do is our is ourselves. Yeah, we've got we've now got a certain amount of staff that some, some I mean two hundred forty nine um, staff exactly. Wow. Give or take. Um, but we've got, you know, we've got office stuff. We've got care workers. We've got people that go out and feel. We've got really great relationships, and we we built that from scratch. And kind of what we, on the while while building that in, in the foreground, and, and kind of how the technology side of it came to me. I've always loved technology, and I've always I think technology for me is a, is a natural, is a natural problem mm-hmm. in the sense that everything can be solved with, with enough with enough time and effort when you when it comes to technology. So. While while the care agency was kind of ticking on in the background, I kind of left and was like, okay, I'm gonna you know go off and try and do something else and try and do something something that I I, I can I can push myself and learn because I, I'm 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 ever wanting to learn a new skill. So I went off and I worked you know I worked at the likes of I worked at some media agency, so I worked at AKQA, I worked at LBI or Digitized LBI, what they were called. I then worked you know I worked for Unilever for three and a half years. Mm. I worked at um, <laughs> I worked at what did I work at? Yeah, worked at Union for three and a half years. Um, worked at another company for another another year or so. Then I got weirdly headhunted for a super secret meeting that it it wasn't until my third interview did I find out what company I was being headhunted <laughs> for. No way. But do you know, do you know kind of someone's, no? No, no. <laughs> it, it was it was kind of so I got a call from a from a recruiter and said, Oh, someone's you mean you popped up on our radar. Um, you popped up on someone's radar um, and they've asked us to approach you. We only work for one client. Um, and I was like, oh, what's the client? We can't tell you. Okay, all right. Um, but can you come in for an interview? Cool. How, okay, can you just tell me what the client is? No, we can't. Okay. Oh, and I, so I was like, oh, it's fine. When I turn up at the office, I'll know exactly who the client yeah. is. Yeah, you're not meeting at the client's office. No, of like, course not, no. Yeah, I'm like, um, who could this be? <laughs> just like, who could this be? Anyway, so I did the first interview. I'm trying to probe for questions. I was like, great, I think this works. Um, what we'd like you to do is to meet the um, the um, head of Amir, and they'd like to meet you. And I'm like, great, okay, who's this for? Still no. I'm like, great, so I'll just meet them in a coffee shop then as well. <laughs> cool, just super secretive. And then I was like, right, you need one more interview. You've got to do the interview here. This is the location. And again, locate, I, 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 mean, I got home, Googled, and I was like, no, don't, no clue. Turn up to the building. Building's completely innocuous. <laughs> um, press the button. You mean 
get, get to the floor and walk out the lift and I was like, ah, I know who I'm working for. <laughs> and then I was like, then I was like, crap, I know you should have prepared a lot more for this interview. <laughs> um, who was uh, it, mate? Who was it? I feel like you might have a device on your desk that has a logo of this company. Oh, okay. So it was Apple. Yeah, it was Apple. Wow. So we walked out and I saw the, the, the white Apple logo on the gray background or whatever color it, the, the specific Apple gray is. Mm. And I walked into the interview and I, and I was, up until that point, I was, I was pretty cocky and pretty confident mm. because I'd got that far. But I walked in and I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Wait, I, I'm, I'm an imposter. Am I? And it, and it sounds strange, but I mean, being the only black pilot in my squadron, I felt like I was an, I was an imposter. Being trying to yeah. build a carrier agency when everyone else was saying it was impossible, I felt like an imposter. It, it just, and, I was, and then it kind of made me go, I think as I was walking in, I just went, you know what? Just be yourself because the worst that can happen is they don't hide there you. There it is. Yeah. And actually, <clears throat> it's fine. So I kind of went in and, and kind of just had a conversation. And I'm, I'm always... I always like having a conversation because I think when I try and when I'm talking, or I'm, I, it's very easy to relate. I like to relate to people. So I was talking, I was engaging, I was up on, I was up on the board, I was drawing stuff, and it was nice. really good. Walked out and I thought, Do you know what? Worst comes to worst, I gave what I thought was better. It probably wasn't the right type of interview, but I gave what I thought was the best interview. <laughs> yeah, nice man. Yeah, it was. I, well, I got hired, so I worked there for for, well, for a while, um, and then yeah, worked there and then. I was a producer, so you know, what building and supporting. A, I think I had a development team of thirty odd people. Wow. that worked on it, and then so I left. I left, and so I had a. I left. Let's say we left um, on mutual <laughs> on mutual grounds. Um, it was. Do you know? What? I think I, it was amazing, but it was so. They are a hard, hard company to work for. Not because. Um, of any, they push the stuff, but it's, you're doing so much and it's so, you're, you're kind of, you're doing some amazing things and you want to tell people and you can't in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And that kind of goes against the principle of like, I'm doing amazing work and I want to shout about Yeah, it. and openness right. and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that, that kind of didn't really work for me. So I left there and luckily enough, as I left and I, I fell on my feet, I think the next day, um, I went in for an interview at LinkedIn and I, you know, walked in there and I think I worked at LinkedIn for three and a half oh, years. Oh, very cool. Like this is almost um, like the Silicon Valley startup dream. Like, oh yeah, worked at Apple, worked at LinkedIn, <laughs> raised 5 million and then exited to Google. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's well, almost that story. <laughs> not for, well, I think, yeah, well, I looked at, so LinkedIn and Google at this point were literally opposite across the road from each other. And I kind of looked over and was like, no, I feel like this is, this is my, this, and get bought yeah. by Google. <laughs> this is where i need to to, to chip off but so worked there and it, that was amazing and, and i remember going for so i was a, an api consultant um working with you mean the media clients that are trying to leverage parts of the of the linkedin API okay yeah stronger solutions um and i kind of got to a point where i was like i want to i want to change jobs i want to kind of look for other roles and i applied for a role and i remember someone saying to me in the interview so oh, that we know who you are, but what's what do you think is your biggest success so far? And I sat down and was like, my biggest success? Uh, probably building one of the largest independent care agencies in London from scratch in the, over the last 10 years. Mm. And everyone in you just looks at each other and was like, right, I thought you were going to tell us something that you've done here. 
And I was like, oh, I could, yeah, I can, I can tell you something I've done here, but you know, you know what that is. And it was in that instant I was like, why, why am I here? Yeah. And I think that's when I, and it's it's a weird term. I think that's that's kind of when I stopped drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. I, that okay. was the first time I was like, I I can't keep drinking this Kool Aid anymore. Um, and for anyone that 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 might be a very UK centric term referencing an American product, but it's kind of when you're so in love with everything and you forget what's going on. And I just, and I kind of was like, okay. And then we, I went into, we had a training session with this company that they bought called, um, do you know what? I'm going to not say the name of the company. So they bought, <laughs> this, they, bought this, they bought this American company that was basically putting a pixel on a website that allowed you to track user engagement and do retargeting and, and whatever. And it came over and they were like, oh, we've got this amazing product. It's, it's the best thing ever. And I was like, no, it's not. I was doing it sort of five, 10 years ago when I worked in media agencies you know what it doesn't work people don't want it and actually it causes more problems when you're looking at a great build and also from a data security perspective no one wants that on their website oh no everyone's gonna love it do you know what if a company doesn't get this they're not they're not they're not gonna they're not gonna Mm -hmm. they're not gonna succeed they're gonna fail what you need to do is when you go out and tell them they need this this is oxygen to them if they don't get it they're gonna (laughs) die and this is an american guy saying this and i was like Oh, okay. So this is oxygen. Yeah, this is oxygen to them. This is the best thing. If they don't get it, they're gonna fall behind. Their product's gonna fall behind. They're not gonna engage with their customers. They're not even gonna know who their customers are because you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna take the LinkedIn data with their customer data, and they're gonna know exactly who their customer is at all times and be able to target them wherever they are, wherever they sleep. And I went, okay, they're selling oxygen now. Okay, cool, cool. That's what we did. Uh, and then I was like, yep. I and I literally walked down. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I can't. This isn't for me. I need to do something where I feel like I'm making a bit a better difference. You'd lo- yeah, you'd lost the you'd lost the purpose. The the that that light had gone out of your your north star. You'd lost sight. It of had. It. And look, long long and short is that the product failed. Um, it yeah. basically sunsetted, sunsetted the product. I think six or seven or within a year, that product was was was, was failed because no one wanted it. Yeah, it, okay. It didn't work. It was and not oxygen. Trying to target. <laughs> It wasn't oxygen. Everyone they were targeting were like, yeah, we're already doing something like this ourselves. And also, we're not going to let you put a pixel on our website so you can track our data because are they a yeah. financial company and we can't do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. you said you're going to speak to the financial regulators. Yeah, they're going to say no. Yeah. Fair that. Well, good luck. Um, so, I came, so, now, so now I was like, okay, great. So I came back to the business and I took over, you know, took over as, as managing director of, of the one care business we had at that point. Yeah. And what, the one thing I realized was the care industry and that is across the board health, I mean, even in, in the NHS, as much as people think we're using technology, but the care industry is so underfunded, but also the technology that's been used is so unfit for purpose in most cases. Mm. In most cases, it's technology being shoehorned from another industry into, into, into care. Mm. So for example, I mean, at one point when I came back, they were like, oh, Google have this amazing health tech suite of products. And I was like, oh, cool, let's look at that, see if we can, how we can integrate that into what we're doing. No, it was just it was just Google. It was just a Google products that they were saying you can do collaborative working on on a on an Excel sheet or whatever a Google Doc sheet, and you're like, oh, so it's not really tailored to healthcare. It's just a, a document. You yeah. Can use. So I, so we kind of and one of the things we had is we had ten at this point we had ten years worth of of user information that was in paper. So we had care notes. We had. Um, vital signs um, notes we had food we had bowel movements we had turning charts we had conditions we had all this information and i think the one thing that really stuck into my core and really annoyed me is 
no one cares about community-based data or they starting to turn, but at that point, no one cared about community-based data. You had you had excuses of, oh, you know, the data isn't formatted, it's it's here or there, you can't read it, yeah, it's not it's not this. If I only see my doctor for an hour a year, but I see my care worker for six hours a day, <laughs> who knows more about me? Indeed. Who 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 knows who's better at telling me telling you if something is changing? Who's better at understanding how how you're reacting to a certain medication food environmental factors so why isn't that information being used and and actually we were as I said we were completely guilty for that so we then set about trying to um build a system that allowed us to just capture that data you know, we went for a procurement focus per, person tried to find everyone that could do it and no one was doing it all everyone was doing was taking was saying oh we've, we've digitized care, your care information we've digitized your emails and all this sort of your 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 mark sheets but all they were doing was taking the paper version, put it in, put it on a computer, and calling it digitization. Yeah. And for someone's going to say, but that's what it is. Yes, you are. But what are you learning from that? So we actually set out and built our own system called Care ID. And what Care ID was fundamentally trying to do was not just be a digital replica of paper, but was trying to understand and learn. And that's kind of where we, we, we kind of was like, okay, so if we're going to make this, how do we make this system the best? And I mean, me and my co-founder at that point was, I mean, he's an amazing technical um, project manager. He's worked, you know, he's worked very similar to me, but he's worked at Google. He's worked at Adidas. Mm. He's built multitude of systems across. So, and we went, okay, if we were to build this, how would we build this thing better than everyone else? In, and we, we didn't even look at anyone else, what everyone else had, had at that point. And it was like, okay, when you go on it, what do you want to know? And I go, okay, I, I want to go on and I want to know how many people that I'm looking after have missed their medication. How many people that I'm looking after have, has an allergy and is taking a medication that has a component inside of it. I want to know how many people I'm looking after um, might be doing this and this. And he said, okay, okay, we can build some simple rules, but actually you want to be really cool is if we looked at, trying to build an ai that can understand that yeah. and really start pinging out information yes you're going to you're going to take your care notes yes you're going to take this information but also if you can simplify the way that the data has been inputted from from a care perspective you make sure that data is as rich as you can and then make that data quantifiable so you can then analyze that data we might have a system here yeah and that's kind of the principle we we, we went on and then you know we went to try and find investment and that didn't work and we can i can i'll loop back onto that but what we what we realized after going to go see a few VCs and realizing that we weren't the right, um, we weren't the right shade for them was <laughs> our network over the last 20 years was probably richer than, than we would have probably got from a VC. So you know, we reached out to our network and we, I got, we had the person that's basically built our AI charges two, 3000 pounds a day to, um, to, I mean, he consults with Cisco at 3000 pounds a day. On, on how to build the AI. I mean, the, 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 our developers that built our platform from scratch, they are you know, a thousand pounds a day developers. They built it for, for nothing in, 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 in wow. the same amount of time they, they build large scale systems. I mean, we've, we've got, we've, we've, we've been able to reach out to our network to really harness that. And it kind of goes back to what I was doing in a cookbook. I was using, I wasn't going to write a you know, hundred page cookbook <laughs> of recipes. No. But I reached out to my network and said, "Hey, can you give me one?" Yeah, oh, you get 100 gonna give people me... to give you one. Absolutely. For 100 people, if you ask 100 people to give you one, and even if you get 30, that's 30 more than you had yesterday. Absolutely. That's 30 more than you had. 
and that's kind of what we did. And, and that for me is one of the, kind of a massive tip is everyone kind of goes, Oh, I want the money. I want the money. And that's great. If you can go out and get investment and, and you can get investment from, from VCs and angels, that's amazing. But you know what? Your network is ridiculously rich. Your network is probably going to be able to open as many doors for you yeah. as you can. And if your network isn't that rich, take the time to build the richness of that network. And when you go and build that network, don't sell to that person, engage in that person on an individual level. So if you go out to, if you go out to a networking meeting, don't go, Oh, this is my product, buy my product or invest in me. No, go, do you know what? Can I have a drink with you? And just let me build a relationship with you and talk to you because what you're going to do is now you're going to be an advocate for me. Yeah. I might not be able to get, I might not be able to get money from you, but you're going to be an advocate for me. So what you're going to do is you're going to go out and talk to five or six different people. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting, isn't it? I just want to jump in here and actually stay on this a little bit because it's what you and I were actually just talking about off air before we started recording this, which was that, I mean, we were talking about it under the guise of hiring, right? But it was that notion of when you meet someone for the first time, you and I both just want to get to know the person. We just want to understand and know the person. And actually, that's, I suppose, what makes us if you can call it this good at the networking game and that I suppose we enjoy that we enjoy learning about people and we can no matter what company you're from or product you're trying to sell or all the rest of it in the, the day there's a human being underneath it and I'd rather just get to know that person and see if I can help that person with something that I can do and again you know being upfront about what I can do to help is more important to me than figuring out what I can get from everybody else and I think all of those principles as a whole I suppose make us good networkers in that we're never asking for something from our network straight away and as you quite right rightly say when we meet people we're not we're not ramming products down people's throats or trying to get money from them at the very most we're probably looking for advice because we respect them but even then it's probably only if they actually want to give it to us and so i think that that is the approach to building a network that is the approach to building a network of people that respect you that that you can have a longer term relationship and in fact you know i was speaking to um there's a there's a company yesh from scalpel i was speaking to him he was on this podcast a, a while ago actually i probably need to bring him back on to get an update from him but him and i have been speaking ever since then um and just catching up and understanding each other and every now and again he asks something of me and every now and again i ask something of him but largely it's just us catching up as people in the space but that might turn into a client relationship now that i've got a a company that can that can deliver something for him in a different way and it was because we've just caught up as individuals and and yeah yeah she's exact phrasing on the phone was i want to be a long-term friend to you i don't just want this to be a client relationship i just i want to see how this can go both ways and i want to see how this can go for the long term because i've seen what you do over time and actually i really respect it and everything you're doing is great and i said the same to him you know so it's i, I really i just really want to make this point to the people listening about networking of of like you know, booking meetings to just kind of feel like, oh, what can I get out of this person? And, and yeah. you know, even if even if, I, if I'm nice to them, they might give me money and all this sort of stuff. I, like, okay, it's but it's a real short-sighted approach. It's a real short-term game. Yeah. And I think the long-term game is... is it's 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 meeting investors when you're not raising money like i say these people all the time yeah. it's, it's it's meet them then and just tell them who you are and tell them to watch you and tell them to add them to your investor update email and just get to know them as individuals and people and see if you can help them with any extra deal flow or like what you're investing in at the minute i might know a founder that can help you know if you if you just build stuff on this basis right of of giving more than you get it comes back round in a very good way, I think. And that's, that's, that's my two cents on this, Nick. No, and I, look, I, com I completely agree. And I can give you 
while you're saying that, I actually thought of a, a scenario that actually touched on that. So I'm <clears throat> very much around when I I think when when I say networking, I, I what I'm what I mean is is, is build genuine friendships is what you're saying as well is is build that genuine friendship because actually no one wants to feel like they've been sold to some people do and be, and, and i think that's fine but be honest and upfront with that yeah. person so if you're inviting me to to have a meeting with you because you want money from me i know that's what you want but if you try and come in as in a, in a very different guise and and i'm seeing you you mean trying to rush the conversation through to get to that point that's not going to feel authentic to me mm. i you I mean i'm getting pitched to you by a lot by a lot of people but what you need to do is build that. But also don't always think, oh, I only want to talk to that person because that person's going to be, be able to give me money or, or be, be able to open doors for me. It's actually the person, it's sometimes in that, in that room is that person that isn't. And I, and I, I hate when people only speak up. In, or, so if you're kind of, I remember working in a, when I worked at uni, but it was a, one of my colleagues would only ever speak to managers. They would never speak to anyone on their yeah. level. Or anyone, or anyone below them, and I, I kind of—that's why I'm, when I say you speak up, yeah. and it can say, and it's great. Everyone sees it, and you're like, oh, you only want—you mean it's lunchtime? You only want to sit with them, with, with your manager or senior, or you mean one of the senior people? That's fine. You go off and you go off and do that. Let's see where you are in your career and where I am right now. But you, and and and, I, and that's and that's someone's mentality because actually everyone knows that's what you're trying to do, mm. so they treat you a certain way. But it's the other people now that are on your level that actually now are above that person I, I mentioned that she's trying to engage with him. and you go no because when we had that opportunity to be friends when we had that opportunity to talk you didn't even think of me as a person yeah let alone as a colleague so yep. no i don't want to help you out and no i don't really want to because your idea is great but there are three other people that have got the same idea and i like them so i'm gonna go with them sorry yeah and, and 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 no other reason but and one so one of the guys that we i met and years ago i used to i used to run a, a state club i love i mean i love i love meat i love food i'm a massive foodie um and on a previous life i've i've, I've explained to people how since the cookbook mate hence the cookbook <laughs> but I, I love i love trying to learn how to make things better or easier or more efficient like last weekend i basically spent the whole weekend cooking chicken burgers because i wanted to perf- i wanted to perfect the perfect crust, the, the perfect spice, the perfect spices. I tried with four different oils, four different rubs. I tried make. I made my own buttermilk at one point. Oh my I goodness! I need to come to Watford for dinner. <laughs> I was even, I was even trying different lettuces. Like, do I, is it better if it's just like solid? Is it better if it's chopped? At one point, my wife was was like, "I'm a little bit full, but please bring another one." She, she, I mean, she ate three chicken burgers in, in one sitting and she's like I, I i wasn't hungry but i tasted a third one and i had to eat all of it because it was so good and i was like thanks um and so we used to run a state club and we would invite just random people that we knew and was like ox ox friends to invite friends and we'd go to like random state restaurants around london and rate them and one of the guys came and i started talking to him i was like oh what do you do he's like oh you know i'm i'm kind of you know i'm between jobs and blah blah Anyway, talking to him, he he lived in the UK, he lived in 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 the US, um, and did kind of six months here, six months there. Didn't really ask anything about what he did. I just knew that he spent six months in the UK, just hanging about. Loved to go to Fringe Festival. Kept on, and so he we did this for like about a year, and then he kind of he he kind of left, and we we kept in touch, and I'd talk to him, and we'd have a little chat, and I, and then one day, you know, you just thinking, Do you know what, I really like to know about people I'm I'm calling close friends. 
So I did a, you know, a, gen, a simple Google search. Turns out he's the ex-VP of product Apple, iPhone, iPod division. Was the guy that was the guy that was basically called in to say, we're going to build um, this thing. We don't know what it's called, but we're going to make a phone look like um, this thing. So, I mean, this guy create this guy was working on the Steve Jobs creating the iPhone. And I was like, huh. So I called him up and I was like, hey, um, I just seen something that I think, is, is this you? And he's like, oh, yeah. Did you not know? And I was like, no. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. And then when, when you kind of, when he says that, then you go, right, I see why you only li you live here for six months and live in America for six months. Uh, yeah, it all starts to, and he's a drop in. But actually what, he's now on our, I mean, he's one of our, on our board. And what's really amazing about that is. Oh, I see, okay. He, but it, I, I was like, you know what, <laughs> that, you, you can't have anyone better from a technology perspective that, than that. But it wasn't the fact that I went out and I was trying to, I had to say, oh, can you, I made a friendship with somebody and said, look, these are things I've got a problem with. And he was giving advice and I wasn't taking advice in the sense of, oh, it, you're, you mean you're David Hotman that did X, Y, Z. You're just Dave that's been helping yeah. me. And, yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. in California last year with, you mean out with the city of Irvine. So if you're doing, an, if you're doing a health tech, Irvine Chamber of Commerce is amazing. Irvine has one of the best health tech um, ecosystems outside of um, Memphis. And for anyone that doesn't know that mm. Memphis has probably the biggest ecosystem, health tech ecosystem in the world, you really should should know that that's ground zero knowledge. But Irvine's amazing. You mean I went into to, went to Allegan, went to Medtech, Medtronic. Also, didn't realize that Botox was made for 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 eyes. You mean learned some some amazing things. And day three, we were there, and it was it was like the third day, and it was Fitbit had just been bought by um, Google. Yeah. And we've been our, so our product basically integrates um, um, wearables and devices in the community to track real time data into one data source that everyone can look at to understand what's going on with a patient. And I was like, oh crap, I need to, while I'm here, it'd be good if I could speak to Google. And I was like, so I literally sent a message, sent a message. I was like, hey, do you know anyone in, that's at Google that I can maybe speak to um, about this kind of thing that might be happening in Fitbit? I know that it hasn't probably gone over fully, but it might be good to get on their radar. And he goes, he messaged back and was like, can you get to San Francisco in about three hours? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I can't get to San I'm in Southern California. No. That's someone who owns private jets that's just like, yeah, just nip over, mate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Just jump in your plane. Like, get over there in a couple of... <laughs> I was like, can't do, but could you schedule a call for me? He was like, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. But you just like, that's... Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I, I laugh, but definitely on my, on my point, that was an opportunity where I sent an email, he messaged back and said something, and I went, that's, that's not where I thought that conversation was going to go in any way, shape, or form. No. Yeah. Um, he could have sent a chopper. Come I, on. I, I, don't, I don't know if he, he's got, he's got, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I could, yeah. I could have, do you know what? Realistically, I could have, I could have gone, right. I'm going to head up to San Fran and try and meet this person. But you do you know, just like, I was more asking, do you know anyone? Could we potentially schedule a call in the next couple of weeks? Not, could you schedule a call? Can I, can you go physically meet somebody tomorrow? No, no, I'm, yeah. I'm not there. That I'm not wasting getting the best people on board, man. They just get they get things done, and you and I like efficiency. And I'm sure when people ask you for an intro, if you're on your phone and you've read the LinkedIn message, can I have an intro? I'm sure you're like me, and you just do yeah. it if you're on the phone and you can, and you've got the time, right? You've got an extra six seconds to just do it. I mean, this is what the 
the, how the best people manage their time, I imagine, anyway. Um, but listen, dude, I, I, I just want to touch on one more thing because obviously I'd love to have time to talk about all these different things, but you, you're part of Cradle and and what they do there with with their devices in people's homes and moving things into the community for elderly care. You've got Accela Innovations and you're investing now as well, which is all super exciting. I mean, a, a bit of a bit of just color on on those two things, and then I can ask you one more thing before I think we've got to wrap up in about six minutes. So, so rattle me through, mate. Cradle. So we so look, we went through a lot of problems. We had a lot of issues trying to get through the door to see VCs. We had a lot of issues with that whole kind of reach out to your network and, and, and get funding from your network. Um, because I, that's not how I, as I said, as I said before, it's not how I build relationships. Is, is is constantly asking people for money. And what what I was, what we were trying to do, when we were trying to build Care ID and trying to build the best care agency you can. And look, we are we are a small independent care agency that is doing a lot of hours. We you know we're, we're massive. We, we're big in that sense that we do a lot of hours. But we have to be above the, above everyone else. And one thing I know I can do to differentiate isn't. The one thing I know I can do to differentiate is by leveraging technology. I know that my, my understanding and my experience in technology is far superior than, to most people in sight that run a care agency, run a care home. That is not blowing my own trumpet, but that, that's, that's just where it is. So I need to use technology yeah. to deliver a better level of service in order to differentiate myself from everyone else. And create, we were, I mean, Cradle was, was a weird one. So I, I was searching, I was trying to find find ways of kind of doing remote telehealth and telecare, but wasn't using, you I mean, wasn't just using a phone or using, using six or seven devices in a home because you I mean elderly people, or those receiving care don't want to completely change their experience. They want to use things that they, they feel comfortable using at the moment. So don't bring in, Oh, we're going to put a robot in your house. Don't go, Oh, we're going to give you a 20 inch tablet that you can use. Okay. But how do I learn to use a tablet? I don't want to use a tablet. Oh, it needs to be charged every five minutes. I'm not going to, I'm not mm. going to use that. So I was, I kind of was searching one night, one day I was, I was, on, I was on my computer. And I was like, okay, I've got, Oh, this is a great product. Do you know what I'm, gonna do? I'm just going to call them up. And I called it and I called up at that point. This was in, in right at the beginning. And it was Lisa and Paul were running cradle. Um, and I was speaking to Lisa and I was like, look, I run a care agency. We've got two care agencies, one that specifies does as you know, the NHS and local authorities and one that only looks after um, private clients that have complex needs or need um, round the clock care. And I had a massive crash on my end on, on the phone, like a, like a, like a, <laughs> like a car crash. And she was like, Oh, sorry, there's a car crash outside my window. And I was like, no, no, that's strange. There's a car crash outside my window. And I, this is no joke. I looked outside my window of my house and I looked straight across the road and she was on the phone. <laughs> she was like, I, no, and I, yeah. I, was, I know in a creepy, I was like, I think I can see you. <laughs> she went, yeah. she's just waiting back. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and, and so then, so then and look, she lived across the road. So I was like, okay, cool. And that was that. And at that point, Cradle was really, was very much in its kind of, it had a really good idea. And it was, it was trying to work out where it was going and how it could get into the dom care space. So I started helping us and advising and kind of giving access to our, you know, our team, giving access to our, to our staff and as much as we could to advise on how the product could be, could be, could work for dom care. And actually what they've got is an amazing product right now. We're, we're hopefully we're doing a trial, but we're hoping, we think we might have one, one of our councils that wants to do it, but it would be doing remote care. So care that doesn't need you to physically be in that person's home. So, 
maybe a medication prompt, maybe a companionship visit, maybe just a quality yeah. monitoring visit. It could just be just a welfare check. All those things you don't need to physically do, you can deliver that. And it will, the cost savings from a council perspective is going to be huge. I mean, instead of paying yeah. 18 pounds for a visit, you pay three pounds to, 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 have, wow. to have that platform being used. But also family members can check in. They can book services on, on it. They can, you can, because you now have a hub in the house, you can connect to other wearable devices. You can connect to, um, to blood pressure cuffs, to um, oximeters, to um, thermometers. You can now start taking readings in the community. And for us, that's what we want to do. We want to take that data and allow, allow those looking after you to see that information in the community, not just a snapshot for that 15 minutes when you're in, when you're in a doctor's surgery. So for mm. us, Cradle, Cradle is definitely something we've invested in, something we feel is huge and has a massive global approach. And kind of Cradle going to you mean Japan with Cradle helped me to really also understand a little bit more about the global healthcare market and how, how technology is being used from a, from a global scale. Um, and just kind of like a final one, one of, actually, one of my favorite investments at the moment is we've invested in this, this kind of startup in Brazil, and it sounds weird, and it's kind of slightly outside of it. But what they, they're doing is basically using oxen individuals to donate their time for a digital currency that they can use to pay for things within the app or offline. So you might mm. be really great at writing an article, but um, and someone might need an article. So you donate that, and you say, right, it's going to cost you three happy coins or yeah, three happy coins for me to write this article for you. You take that and also so you can take those happy coins and actually physically go into a restaurant, a bar, a hairdresser's and pay and use the happy coins to pay for that service. Or you can use it to pay somebody else to deliver that, to deliver that on you. Wow. And for us that sits and it sounds weird, but that sits very much into the ethos of Acceler Group, Acceler Limited, which is we're trying to make the lives of everyone we look after better. And not everyone has an abundance of available cash, but time is something that you have that is the most valuable thing that you have. So how can you, wow. how can you work with that? And so that kind of is really good. And I think that and Cradle for us are two amazing companies. And it's, it's shocking when you kind of see what Cradle is trying to achieve. And especially in this kind of what's been happening over the last couple of months of COVID, Cradle being in a home could have, can support so many people. I mean, it allows you a visual way of communicating with other people and also engaging. You could do, right now we've got a massive problem, you mean you're hearing the stats of people that are currently having mental health issues because of the, because of being, um, because of lockdown. You could have just, you mean jumped on and had a, a video call with that person. You could have actually, and not just have a, a phone call with that person, you're seeing their environment as well. You're seeing their emotions. You're able to read their body language with a video call. And not having to go, oh, we're using Zoom or we're using that. No, we'll, I'll just I'll just call you through the Cradle device, or I'll just call you, or mm. I'll call you through the app, and we'll have a we'll have a call, and we'll we'll, we'll have a, a a track of what happened. Yeah, so it all sounds really exciting, Nick. And obviously, getting involved now in the investment side and being able to drive through new leaders and new entrepreneurs must be must be incredibly exciting. But one thing I wanted to talk about before we wrap up this podcast is the Black Lives Matter movement. And obviously, I reached out to you being a black leader in health tech and, and asked you to kindly be on the podcast. And I'm just curious, I suppose, as to what your experience has been throughout this movement and what that's drummed up for you. 
excuse me, in terms of being a black leader in health tech and perhaps, you know, not having those role models yet and possibly being one yourself and hopefully inspiring the next generation. I mean, where do you, where do you sit on that? And, and what, what have you experienced during the, during the movement over the past few weeks? Um, I think, well, I'd love to be a role model. I don't think, I think that's a bit arrogant to say I am or would like to be overly, I think something that I, I, I realized a while back and and actually has kind of made me put me in a position where I want to be become a role model or become that trailblazer is growing up being being black I'm going to use that word but growing up being black unless you unless you were really good at sports or really good at music there wasn't really anyone to uh, to kind of pinpoint and say great I want to be that person or better than that person I mean, if I if I if I was playing football, you could be like, great, I want to be like Ian Wright. If it was, if it was yeah. music, I'd be like, oh, I want to be like. You know, I'm talking. I'm showing my age here, but I want to be like Biggie and Tupac or stuff like that from <laughs> from a yeah. from a from a black perspective. But where were your black leaders? Where were the where were those people? And it took a long while before I saw um, a black leader in a in a in a senior position and thought okay, this is something I can do. And actually what I want to be is be that person that people kind of go, okay, how can I, how can I do that? And I think, I hope, I hope that's what comes out of this. So, I mean, it's, it's hard. Um, I, what I want is I hope and pray that we see a change. Yeah. Um, I hope and pray that people now see that, I mean, that black people can, can achieve a, a lot more. And I hope and pray that from an education perspective, things are coming out. Because actually what I think has been amazing is actually so many people that had no clue about how, it just had no clue of going out there and learning. I mean, I, my wife came to me the other day and said, did you know that the guy that created the, the, the filament inside the light bulbs that we use was actually a black guy? And I went, yes, but thanks very much for going mm -hmm. up and learning that. And they're the things we, we, we aren't taught that actually, black entrepreneurship started a long long while ago i think when you when you when you kind of you see it you you as a black person you you worry that you don't want to kind of stake your claim or say anything because you don't want to come across as as that stereotypical angry black man whereas everyone else is fine to do it so i think i, I think what what we're seeing now is there's a lot more um black BAME entrepreneurs putting the head up, their hand above above the fold. And what we're now seeing is more and more people going, okay, I don't have to be a musician. I don't have to be a sports person. Do you know what? I don't even have to deliver an urban product to succeed. I think the downside of that is you're going to be pigeonholed by trying to not do what your demographic or what your skin color says you should do. So I found it very, very hard to kind of go in and go, go out to investors and say, hey, I'd like some money. And they go, oh, great. What, what, are, you, what are you pitching? Oh, I'm pitching this, this unified platform that allows everyone to have access to the healthcare data and with an AI that sits underneath it. Oh, oh so you're not pitching a clothing brand? No, I'm not, I'm not going to pitch a clothing brand. Oh, you're not pitching a gym product? No. Oh, you're not pitching a, a drinks product? No, I'm not pitching any of those things. Yeah, we're we're not we're just not looking for that as part of our portfolio. But your portfolio says you 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 do health health tech. So mm. where oh you oh you mean you do bio health tech? All oh, right, then take health tech out your out your out your wording. And I and I think that's that's kind of what I I saw. But 
the more and more you're doing it, the, the more it's going to be. I, I, I did say it to somebody and, and they pushed back and challenged and I had to then explain my reason. If you are a black entrepreneur right now and you want to do a product aimed at the urban market, there are a lot of grants, loans and funds available to you. If you are a black entrepreneur trying to work in health tech, uh, fintech, agri-tech, it becomes a lot thinner. It becomes very, 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 you, they, you then have to, you have to come twice as hard as the next person behind you. But actually yeah. what that, but what that means is because you, like as I said, we had, we had that because you don't have all the resources behind you, you are having to work twice as hard. And it's not to say you should work twice as hard, but it means that when you walk in that door, your confidence and your understanding of your product and your market is going to show, is going to shine through the amount of times I've had someone's either pitched to me or been around people that, that have said they know their product and their market. And you ask just the basic questions and it just falls apart. And then you find out that person just had 7 million pound in funding. You go, but you don't understand your market. You don't understand the users or your product. I had one, another product I'm not going to mention a name that we were, I mean, I was doing some advisor work on briefly and they showed me the, the, the app that was aimed at, at a specific demographic. And I, when I looked at the app, I was like, but have you tested it with actually any of your end users? Yeah, we have. We've tested it with X. And you're like, so you've actually tested it in the field? No. So why you have? So why are these buttons so small? Why have you got so yeah. much information going on here? Oh, because, you know, from a design perspective, but I don't care about this. People don't care about this bit. I've got, I'm in there for half an hour trying to do a task. I just need to be able to do that. I don't need to be reading reams and reams of copy because that's not, I mean, it's going to take me 20 minutes to read the copy before I even start doing my care visit. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I think that's what it is. So as long as you, you've got to know your market, you've got to know it in and out. And it is important to know that. But you also have to realize that even though you know your market, even though you have a great product, it's not guaranteed. So you have to find ways of being resourceful. You have to find ways of getting your voice and your product out there. I mean, mm. if you've got if you've got a couple hundred friends or if you've got fifteen hundred people that follow you on, on Instagram, leverage that. Because actually if every last one of them retweets your product, do you know what? That's going that amplification is massive. It's gonna be a lot cheaper and easier than than than, than paying for PR. And actually at some point what you're going to get is it's going to be amplified enough that someone within their network or their network is going to pick it up and go, Hey, can I have a conversation about this? This came on my radar. This is really, really good. It's, it's kind of that, that added, if you're trying to go for a job, if all you're doing is being the same as every other CV out there and not because you're, you're black or white, but if anyone's going for a job, if you're like every other CV out there, you're how you stand apart. And I remember actually years ago, and I thought it was one of the most ingenious ideas, is someone I knew I worked with, she wanted a job where I was working. So what she did is she sent her CV in on, like she created this, an installation for her CV and sent in a, basically a burger on a piece of grass with her CV inside on it and sent it into the recruitment manager, account people and just sent it to four people. Cost to her might, must have been uh, close to hundred quid, but she got the job. And actually everyone then, when she came in, she, everyone had high expectations because she took the initiative to make herself stand out. And I'm not asking, saying that everyone has to do that, but how do you stand out with not from, from the crowd and make what you're delivering stand out? Because by just toning in line, you're never going to be. There are a million amazing startups out there. There's a million amazing products out there. 
but they're not standing out from the crowd. And it's the, and actually in most cases, some of the ones that are standing out aren't the best out there. They just know how to shout and beat their chest a lot better than you do. Mm. And I think what you're saying as well is the fact that for black people, it, it's, it's a shame in a way. It's, well, it's disappointing that even the way that you've sort of softly concluded already and sort of dismissed as, as, as sort of obvious the fact that in order for black entrepreneurs to play in a space where white entrepreneurs exist and excel, they need to be excelling even further. They need to know things even more. And you're obviously talking about that from your own experience. It's interesting to me as well about almost that profiling element of if they've got an urban product or it's in sports or it's in music, then actually, yeah, we'll sit and listen because black people have that creativity and we respect them for that. But seemingly, it seems that at an institutional level, you're not feeling that same level of respect for other things that black people can obviously do just as well as white people. And I suppose a lot of it then creeps into these issues of of bias and unconscious bias, perhaps. But I think if we're going to be action focused, even in this conversation and try and encourage people to make a change, it sounds to me from listening to you that it would be if you're sitting in a position of power on the side of the table with money, then you need to check your bias and actually you need to look at your processes and your principles and the way that you've done things, or even look at the statistics, look at the basic facts of what you've been doing in order to perhaps uncover that unconscious bias. And hopefully it is unconscious, but also then to, you know, stick a a, a logical hat on and appreciate the fact that, black people can obviously be entrepreneurs in the same spaces as white people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing distinguishing that in many, 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 many ways. Right. So I suppose that would be one message perhaps for people that, that are on that side with the money, giving it out to make sure that they are checking themselves for that bias. I suppose you would agree with that. Yeah, I would. I would. And I, and I think it's not what I, what I don't want is, 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 is someone's everyone's just going okay great we're only going to invest in in black companies for the next month because actually that then has it has that affirmative action that happened in the us Mm. but it has that affirmative action negative standpoint because Mm. when you when you speak to somebody like oh you got an investment from x x firm um fund and you go great yeah when was it august oh right yeah mm. which in itself is kind of tokenism right? yeah and and i, and I think I, I spoke about it before but you you get you get token position people being given token positions in roles or in companies or you might have that token company i mean someone says something to you and right now you you make a snap judgment and you put a token company on and american yeah. vc said to me said earlier in this week that actually what they found was where when the top 40 vc firms have been investing in in black um, own companies, what they're doing is they're putting it down as philanthropy. Philanthropy. Is that it? Yeah, philanthropy. Yeah, philanthropy. Yeah. And, and what that means is it's a tax write-off. It's not the main fund of money. It's money that actually would have is probably tax is is what they're using as tax deductible. So what does that what does that message? And she said it clearly. That message sends that I don't really believe in you. Believe in it, yeah. But I'm just going to have to. I'm going to do this so it looks good. 
And right yeah. now, all I'm doing is so it looks good on paper, but I don't really believe it. Yeah. Which is the danger, right? When you have such a societal movement mm -hmm. where there is a lot of this virtue signaling and, and people trying to, you know, show that they're doing the right thing or saying the right thing or showing the right action. And it, it is, it is so risky, but, but, it, but it I think it's a bad taste. It does. And I, I think the, the bigger problem I'm, I'm currently seeing and actually it hasn't, I would have no, not noticed it more than if I hadn't really kind of delved into some of the numbers, but when you wrap everyone into the BAME category, the BAME investment numbers look good. Cause someone's on this is going to say yeah. to me, BAME looks, BAME investment looks good. 18% yeah. last year, something like 18% of um, VCs invested in, sorry, 18% of VC money went to BAME, BAME companies. Yeah. And you go 18%. Do you know what? That guy who was on that podcast was wrong because actually 18% when, when, doesn't sound too bad. 18% is actually a good amount of number. No, break yeah. that break that number down. 16 or 17% of it went to Asian Asian um, founders. Doesn't yeah. actually again, it doesn't split, so it's wrapping everyone in. So I'm not sure if that's um, Indian, Pakistani, or Southeast Asian or all the other countries within Asia. Yeah. 1% went to black men and 0.2% went to black women, and less than 0.1% went to somebody of uh, that was classified as other. One percent. So now, when you look at it, that looks terrible. Where mm. it, it, the numbers are terrible, then how mm. do you how do you kind of then start saying, "Oh no, we are investing." You're not, and then you might come across and go, "Okay, but they're not putting their hand forward because they know what's the point of putting their hand forward." Yeah. So I didn't go. For, I didn't go for any VC funds this year. Why? You might go. Well, why didn't you go for? Because I know what happened to me last year. I got, statistically, I, it's a waste of your time. <laughs> it's statistically a waste of my time. Last year, I went to a VC firm and pretty much got seen at my meeting, got pushed, pushed, pushed to an extent. I got seen 20 minutes at seven o'clock in the evening. I had another one where the VC basically walked around the whole reception, reception marks and everyone who they were, if they were me, for me to put my hand up and go, I think you're looking for, for, my, for me, sat down and was pretty much on his phone for most of the meeting. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 for, so for me, it, it doesn't work. And I'm not saying that was racism or, or whatever. I'm just saying, it turns the system, the system and the information and numbers look great when you wrap everything in, but when you start unpicking it, it doesn't look great. Yeah. So the only way you're going to do that is by going, do you know what? I'm going to have to find a way of, of doing this myself and doing this and doing this better. And do you know what? I'm not going to give up. And, and I think now and now, and actually what's great is since the Black Lives Movement and, and what's happened there is a lot more black leaders are putting their hands up and saying, do you know what? I'm doing good. Please, mm. please look what I've done. And we weren't having that before. I mean, I, 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 I had to check it, but I think the first person I saw that, that was doing really good, and I mean really good from a black perspective, was Tijane Tiam. Am I saying his name right? The ex... Possibly. Uh, yeah. The ex, <laughs> I, I, ex, one uh, thing that I've actually learned about pronouncing people's names is that I, I don't try it until I've spoken to them now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We know who, but we know who he is, right? You, you understand? Yeah. Him? He was the first one I, when I looked, I was like, oh wow. Mm. But that wasn't. But then when you kind of look back, he wasn't the first. You've got amazing entrepreneurs from the black community in America, and I think that's the thing people forget. You I mean you yeah. have you had the lady that set up the make she set up makeup. You have yes, everyone knows about Oprah, but she Oprah wasn't the first. There was a plethora of people, both women before her. Yeah. There was men, but there were so many amazing women. I mean, 
the first space shuttle that went into space had a whole team of black women that helped them get there and get back. Mm. You, you miss, we miss all of those bits. So you, so part of kind of growing as a black entrepreneur and being that, that person is you need to know about the history as well. So you can show people that, you know, yes, follow me, look what I've done, but I'm not the first person. There's been a whole lot of others before us. You just haven't heard about them. So why don't we talk about how I got here and what my journey was, but let's talk about some other people's journey and what they did and how they learned and how you can learn from them. So, yeah. and that's the thing. It's not just learn about from, from people nowadays because there's all that history. And I, I think because that history is all hidden and locked away, all you're thinking is, oh, I can just, this is, this, I've got to take this, this jump from now. Actually, no, there is a run and start. You just don't know there have been. Yeah. And so a big part of it then is, is increasing the visibility of that stuff. And a big part of it is obviously being visible as a successful black entrepreneur and black leader and showing the new generation very actively, this is the path I've taken. You can take it too. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, right? And by doing things like this and, and other things, you're trying to make yourself more visible in your story. And, and as you say, quite rightly, also teaching other people of the history of people, those that have gone before you and, and, and done successful things, which is so important. And I think there's, I mean, there's even a, a very practical step that you've taken as well, which is obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, with your money, investing it in new leaders and new entrepreneurs, which obviously you have a great deal of then control over with it being your own money. And so you can actually make a positive change doing that. Right. And is, is, is that partly what you're doing with, with Excella? Yeah, and and that's kind of what we want to be. We want to be that that vehicle. And I know someone's going to kind of look back and go, okay, but you say X, Y, Z. I'm not trying to invest all of our money in, only in black-owned companies because I think that mm. that kind of sends. I feel like that sends a, a very specific message, and actually, probably, as I said, might have a a counterproductive element to it. What I'm trying to do is invest in the right company that meets our overall business, our overall object, long-term objective. So, I mean, yes, 50% of the companies we've invested in have been, have had black owners and 50% of them are, are women. And it's not because we went out and, and picked that specific, picked those companies and said, okay, this is a woman, let's invest in it. It's, we like this company. So I really love what the guys at Happy Help are doing. I really love what the guys at Cradle are doing. I really love what the guys at Long My Care are doing. I mean, I love what the guys at Sherpa and, and stuff like that are doing. And so we go, okay, let's get involved in that because that follows what we're trying to overall achieve. And then let's go out and support them by mentioning them, by championing them, by putting them in front of other people and saying, look, why don't you get this? Why don't you take this? Why don't you have a conversation with these guys? And that's all, all we're doing is trying to open as many doors as we can and leveraging our network to do that. And I'm not, I'm not going out in, in there and saying, you know, I'm not in any way, shape or form the bigger, biggest investor in any of these guys. We're probably one of the smallest ones. But what I'm doing is I'm making that work for me because I really want these companies to succeed because we didn't have that opportunity. So I'm trying to do that as much as I can. Amazing, man. And what we, what we need now is action and we need positive change and we need people to do things. And I think with everything that you are doing, I, I, I just think it's wonderful. I just think it's it's awesome. And, you know, as I've said to you off air, right, being mixed race myself, I, 
I, I feel a lot of the pain, not that I have a lot of claim to it because I look quite white and all these other, all these other issues that, that fly around and contradictions in my mind and body and all these different things. But you know, I, I, I feel immense joy when I hear what you're doing and the way that you're doing it. And I like the fact that you are a role model, believe it or not, <laughs> you are. And I think there will be people that listen that certainly think so too. And I suppose the, the way that we end these podcasts, dude, is that I, um, I hand over to you to just kind of summarize a bit about yourself, a bit about what you're up to and to leave us with any asks that you might have of the audience. So by all means, Nick, take it away and close us out. I think my ask for, for the audience is to, as much as you can, support those out around you that need help. If you are in a position of, of power or not, even if you think you don't know or have that ability, help. Because there are, there are a lot of amazing entrepreneurs out there of whatever color, but there are amazing banging entrepreneurs out there that, you know what, you might not realize it, but that person, as I said earlier on, that you might be speaking to, might have an amazing job that could help so you know what instead let's stand up and support that's they you might not be able to help them financially but you know what put your back in behind them because everyone loves to to put their back in behind these massive global companies but put your back in behind a friend put your back in behind somebody that you actually like or company that you see you know everyone wants to run out there and buy really expensive gucci bags put your effort behind somebody else that's actually really cares about that 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 pound and really will, will use it i think from a my kind of big things are investment and funding it's 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 hard and it's it's gonna it's gonna break you try and get to the point where you can do it yourself push and push and push don't spend all your energy don't pay anybody to do anything for you or pay anybody that says they'll help you open the door the amount of times we've been approached by people that say, hey, for 3,000 pounds, we can introduce you to mm -hmm. six investors and free funds. All they're doing is an introduction. Don't think that's going to get you the money. And realistically, all they're doing is saying, hey, we know this company that's doing this thing. Here's their deck. Oh, and they've also paid us. So enjoy that. Your best bet, again, is to reach out, use your network or find somebody on LinkedIn find where they're going to be and have a conversation, but don't pitch to them the moment you say hello to them for sale. Let them come to you. So say, hi, I'm X. This is what I do. Let's have a conversation about something. Let me talk to you about why I think data and owning your patient data is important. Oh, and actually I have a product that does that. So this is how I'm wrapping that in. Don't just go, oh, my product does this. Do you want to invest in it? No, no, I'm not. Cause you, you come at me too, too aggressively. Um, and I think just, do you know what? Believe in yourself. I think the one thing I've always been taught by my, my mother was you have to believe in yourself and you have to, you have to, to, to strive for it. And that kind of one idea has got me through when, when things are, no one believes in it or things people don't agree, you have to stick with your guns because if it, when it goes wrong, you only have yourself to blame and that's fine because you tried something and you failed. And actually, this is an old analogy, but everyone thinks failure is such a bad thing. When you try to learn to walk, you fell over and hit your knees, your <laughs> face, your head. I mean, it took, I've got a, a, a four-year-old now, and I'm sure when he was trying to walk, I definitely know he took a couple of knocks on his head. <laughs> but he kept on going, and now he walks and runs around and doesn't actually walk anymore, but he runs everywhere. And I think that's what, I think that's the bit in business people forget, is you can make so many mistakes. 
everyone hears about the great things that one person did, but what about all the mistakes they did? It's the mistakes that help them to learn to go, okay, I did that wrong last time. I'm going to do this. Slack, an amazing platform that everyone used, didn't start out the way it was. It pivoted because it made a mistake and pivoted into a whole new product and is now one of the most valuable companies in the world. Make a mistake, learn from the mistake. If you're learning from your mistakes, you will get better. But if, if you're afraid to, to fail, you'll never succeed because you have to. You have to learn and, and making mistakes is the best way to learn. And the last one is surround yourself with the best team possible. possible. And that's not to say go out and get massive heavy hitters that are going to cost you money. No, you need, in your team, you need a pragmatist. You need someone that's going to challenge you. You need someone on that, around that table that's going to say to you, but why are we doing that? But what happens if you do that? I don't think that's going to work. And then for you then to answer that person, because if you can answer somebody on your team, on your board or whatever, then you can answer any journalist, any, any investor, any person, any salesperson, you can answer them completely out of the market. But if all you have around you is people that you're, you're paying just to say yes, then you don't have a good, you, you won't have a good, good company. And I'm not saying go out there, get the best people you can. But when you're starting out, all those people have to be hands-on. I mean, I remember when we were first starting out, I had someone that came on and said, oh, I'm 60, 70 grand a year. I go, oh, great. So you're going to you know, do the books, you're going to do the numbers, you're going to do the forecast. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm just purely strategic. We'd have to get someone in up below me to do that. Then, then why am I paying for that? If you're not getting involved in getting your hands dirty on day one, then I don't need that. Three, four, five years down the line, yes, I might need you, but I'm not going to use that on day one. And actually, if I've got three, four years down the line and I didn't need you back then, I'm not going to need you in three or four years down the line, so I'm out. And I think that's the key thing is build your team as much as you can and make sure everyone in your team is pushing in the same direction. So when something goes wrong, it's not left to you or left to that person. It's everyone getting involved or everyone supporting. And it's not to say everyone should be trying to get involved in the numbers or in the product or in, in the, the supply chain. But if everyone is, if everyone is right now, you have an issue with a supply chain, how is everyone else in the team trying to support that? Not, well, that's not my role. I leave you guys to, to, to deal with that. Well, no, it is our role because if the supply chain breaks down, there's no product. If there's no product, we don't have a company. We don't have a company, we're all out of jobs. So we all should be getting involved. We all should be supporting each other as much as we can. Really good practical advice, mate. And, and listen, it's been, it's been such a pleasure having you on. I've thoroughly enjoyed every second of this, mate. And um, yeah, I felt like you were talking directly to me at a few of those bits, that how much they chimed of, of certain things that I need to definitely take forward as I build my business. But um, dude, it's, it, as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. One final question. If people listening want to get in, want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you know what? Normally LinkedIn. <laughs> normally, normally LinkedIn. So LinkedIn or Twitter. So um, Excel Limited on Twitter or Nicholas Kelly on LinkedIn. Either or. Um, I'm super responsive. I hate if I don't respond to you within an hour, I probably won't respond to you. I find it very rude if someone sends me a message and I don't respond. Call it my um, my OCD and my conditioning. <laughs> Very good. Nick, as I say, absolute pleasure, my friend, and let's definitely catch up soon. Thanks, James. Speak to you in a bit. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.